Episode two, mic'd up. Drew, how are we? Can't complain. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Welcome back. Yes, sir. It's a it's a beautiful summertime vibe in Chicago right now. Couldn't couldn't be much better if you ask me. Um, I don't disagree with you. Uh, no, nah, it's a pretty pretty wonderful Thursday evening downtown uh, here in Chicago, and uh, we're excited for episode two coming at you live. Uh, Drew, what's new since we last talked? Hmm. Let's see. I mean, the first that comes to mind is obviously the NBA Finals. Um, pretty impressive night by both Jamal Murray and Jokic. Both triple doubles. Um, it's a pretty impressive stat um, and, a, and a pretty big response by the Nuggets after a tough loss at home. Um, coming back on the road and taking game three was pretty impressive. Um, Drew, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing your analysis right there. And I will say... I'm glad you did so because we did hear some fan reaction uh, after the premiere episode, and despite uh, a lot of praise that we did hear and appreciate, appreciate uh, one fan was a little bit flabbergasted. They made it till the end of the episode and had no idea who either of us were rocking with in the NBA Finals. And I will say, uh, we sure do obviously like to get philosophical, scientifical every now and then, but uh, I don't know if that's a word. Scientifical. Uh, scientific. In, uh, in our thinking, yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, philosophical and uh, definitely, you know, just in our uh, academic brains. But let's not forget, you're a student athlete at the end of the day. So uh, we need to know who you're taking this in this series. As much as I hate to say it, I don't know if I'm rooting for a team. Um, I'm kind of just Get rooting out. for a good series, to be honest. Um, I know a lot of people are on kind of the Denver bandwagon saying they're going to sweep um, – Clearly not. Uh, so obviously next game, I'm kind of rooting for the Heat. I'm hoping this series goes to seven. Um, and I'm hoping to see a dog fight because I think, um, you know, with the Heat, we got Jimmy Buckets. What's not to like about him? Um, putting on a show. Um, and then on the other side, um, I think that both Jamal Murray, um, aside from um, some bad publicity in the past couple of years, if you know <laughs> what I mean, um, and Jokic are just fun to watch. And so as boring of an answer as that might be, um, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, no, I mean, you're not wrong. I think I think that's a good breakdown of what we've seen so far to this point. Uh, gun to my head, though, if I, if I had to pick a team to win it, I don't know how I'm, as a human, able to bet against Jimmy Butler after what I've seen out of him the past couple of years. Uh, he went from, like, probably a, a C-tier superstar when he first got to Miami and then with absolutely no one giving them a chance, this is now their second finals. Obviously, uh, last night's game didn't go their way. It's brutal to give back home court advantage to the Nuggets there after taking it from them in Denver, obviously. But, uh, I mean, that Miami team has been down and out all postseason and counted out time and time again. So I'm certainly not going to abandon ship right now. Uh, I will say the main reason I wanted to talk about this with you, though, is because on our latest episode, you had, you had announced to the public here that you're not a conspiracy theorist. Um, then some, some other statements were made uh, later in the episode that might have people uh, thinking otherwise. But because, you know, you're dabbling in the conspiratorial area, as, as it seems, uh, here's a conspiracy I got to get your opinion on regarding the NBA Finals and one Hemi Butler. Let's hear it. 
and, and, and just to clear the air there, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but I do think um, it's fun to kind of dabble into that land. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to clear the record there. Uh, we're only on audio today, but for the record, Drew does have his tinfoil hat on, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, I, I, I would say there's probably some people listening who, who wouldn't mind being called a conspiracy theorist. Uh, it seems like a very ambiguous term nowadays. Uh, after some, more than a few have probably maybe come true uh, over the past few years, but no, I like what you're saying. There's, I'm not a believer in many conspiracy theories, but... It's, uh, it's fun to entertain them from time to time. It's only a conspiracy theory until uh, it becomes fact. I would agree. <laughs> um, but anyway, here we go. Jimmy Butler. Butler is Michael Jordan's illegitimate son, and this is why. This rumor stems from the fact that in 1988, Michael Jordan would not claim an unwanted child in fear of destroying his marriage. The child took on the mother's name of Butler, and it was reported that Michael Jordan paid the mother off so he would not tarnish his public image and legacy. And this is around the time that Jimmy Butler was born, correct? Here's why this rumor is ridiculous. Jimmy Butler was born in 1989 and Michael Jordan didn't marry his first wife until November of 1989. There's no reason for him being worried about ruining his marriage that didn't even exist then. The biggest piece of evidence for this rumor is that Michael Jordan... All right, I think we heard enough of that. Um, basically, to sum it up, there's people out there speculating that Jimmy is MJ's son uh, due to a picture that's circulating online. Is that fact or fiction? I think it's utter nonsense. Um... Cap, cap. <laughs> I don't even know if we need to go on more than that. Yeah, it, it was a TikTok, yeah. so take it with a grain of salt, obviously. Yeah, but I do think um, th there are very uh, there are similarities between um, his game and Jordan's. Not to say that he's anywhere near uh, the status or career as Jordan, but I would say just like even watching him in this final series, when he's on the court, you're not seeing any emotion. Um, unless it's after a big play and he's jumping through the air, pumping his fist. Um, something I've noticed watching these past few games, every other player seems to throw their hands up after every whistle, um, look to the ref, complain, argue. Um, and while there are obviously instances where he'll, he'll get a comment in, he's all business on the court. And uh, so putting the conspiracy theory aside, um, I do think that that is something I love watching about Jimmy Butler, especially in today's game when you see all these players constantly complaining, constantly, um, you know, just, just that's not like the type of basketball that I or I, I think most kind of NBA fans like to see. And so dude, I think he's 100%. huge for the, for the, for the league in yeah, general. Yeah, dude, um, I 100% agree. He's got that dog in him. He certainly does. And, uh, He's like the antithesis to like what the, the rest of the modern NBA has begun today. And J.J. Redick said it best, former NBA player. He said the majority of uh, NBA players nowadays are more worried about their pregame outfit and the pic they're going to post to Instagram than, than the actual game. And obviously we both love ball, but I mean the quality of the game does seem to have declined a little bit at the NBA level over the past five to ten years. And he, Jimmy Butler is basically the polar opposite of what has become a, a recurring problem throughout the league. Uh, and he's an absolute savage. Just a kid from Thumball, Texas, middle of nowhere, kicked out of his house in seventh grade, couch surfs, couch surfs in high school, uh, junior college, Marquette, 
second round draft pick, Chicago Bulls, and then he makes it all the way to where he is now. And I mean, how can you not be rooting for him? So I'm on the Let's Go Heat bandwagon. Uh, I'm a big fan of South Florida in general, but yeah, uh, there we go. Those are our uh, takes there on the uh, NBA Finals. We'll be watching. And uh, with that being said, Drew, there was another big development in the news uh, since the last our last episode, actually. And this is kind of more in line with what we were covering in episode one uh, on the artificial intelligence and technology wavelength there. And uh, this new Apple technology that just got announced, Vision Pro. I'm sure you've been all up, all up on reading about that. And uh, that's definitely up your wheelhouse. What, what's your uh, first takeaways here? Um, the first and most obvious is the $3,500, I believe, dollar price tag. Um, is that what it is, $3,500? I believe minimum. Um, if you want to look that up to, to, to fact check that, that might be nice. Um, but so yeah, that's the first thing that stands out, and it's three thousand four hundred and ninety nine dollars. Dollar off. Okay. After taxes, though, it's probably up a couple. If you know what I mean. But um, way to fact check yourself there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so here are my thoughts. So first of all, I've, I've only really seen. Um, you know, what, what they put on video. And a lot of times um, it is a little bit different from how it actually is um, in person uh, with the user experience. But from what I saw, um, it's similar to these Oculus headsets, um, but different in that you still see a clear picture, um, maybe even clearer than eyesight for all I know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a way to, to, for people with bad sight to see better, who knows. But, that's a side tangent. Um, so you have like your kind of home dashboard that you see and you can kind of... For our uh, for our listeners at home that might have zero idea of what we're talking about and just missed, uh, missed the release of it, let's play this 30-second sound clip right now. It's the first Apple product you look through and not at. Vision Pro feels familiar, yet it's entirely new. You can see, hear, and interact with digital content just like it's in your physical space. And you control Vision Pro using the most natural and intuitive tools, your eyes, hands, and voice. Your surroundings become an infinite canvas. Use your apps anywhere and make them any size you want. Capture photos and videos and relive your most important memories in an entirely new way. Watch your movies, shows, and sports, and immerse yourself in games on a giant screen surrounded by spatial audio. Vision Pro is a new kind of computer that augments... I never thought the day would come where you and I are out here on our own show uh, giving free advertising to the metaverse, which seems to have officially arrived now uh, because that... But yeah, so basically you summed it up well just a pair of goggles that you put on and it allows you to see basically the entirely same interface as your laptop or your smartphone would display, yet you're interacting it, interacting with it with hand gestures and uh, your own body. So uh, we're getting closer and closer to, I think, that microchip we, we were uh, mentioning in episode one there. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is kind of the, the, the first phase towards this uh, purely... Um, you know, automa- automated reality, um, and also a big step in terms of um, what a lot of predict to be 
um, this kind of integration with technology coming in the near future. Um, so something, a couple things that, that come to mind immediately. Um, so first of all, I have to wonder what types of um, apps you can install to it. I mean, I know they mentioned games. I know they mentioned, I'm sure there are some like workout features. I'm sure there's like FaceTiming. I'm sure there's uh, like some VR type stuff that's similar, similar to Oculus. Um, but will there be internet access? Do you think? Yeah, I have to believe so. Um, Are people going to be watching? And so the other graphic thing... material on these. Got <laughs> <I laughs> to imagine, right? Jeez. But so the other thing, um, just so I don't lose my train of thought here, is um, as, so the first the first uh, Apple has a tendency. So the first product is kind of the bunky, bulky one. Uh, most generic version and so I can just see 10 years into the future where this is going to be something like I, I don't know if you remember the Google Glass mm -hmm. I think as it becomes less like bulky and over the eyes this is really something that people are going to be able to have you know like ChatGBT internet right in front of them like you're going to be able to take tests be at work and you're going to have all this access right in front of your eyes and then you got to wonder if it can bring stuff up onto the screen based on what you're doing, what you're what you're talking about, um, like lead you to like oh restaurants nearby stuff like that. So like this is really something that could turn into like people are walking outside of these, and that's like a little bit scary to me. I don't know. What are your thoughts? If I could only respond in one answer, it would be maybe. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get into what that answer means here in a bit, but I mean I would just say. People throughout the entirety of history like to speculate and predict the future, yet just about every single prediction turns out to be wrong. So like the only way to actually see how something's gonna be playing out or play out in actuality is to just let time do its job. Uh, especially I've kind of thought when it comes to technology in particular, like basically the whole fear-mongering rant you kind of just provided, which like I'm sure I've probably said verbatim in the, at times in the past, I will say uh, people were saying similar things about the metaverse when they first unveiled it in like 2019 and that kind of flopped. Uh, so I would just say, I, t I mean, it looks, <laughs> dude, it looks unbelievable. Uh, it looks, you know, not even something like something you could ever imagine would be existent in our society. But uh, I mean, it's here and it looks great, but I have been underwhelmed, I would say, from virtual reality goggles. I've probably worn them three times before. Um, but Google obviously does a phenomenal job. And like, yeah, it's easy to think that in 10 years time, these things are gonna be worn by everyone. And you know, it's gonna be cyborg city. Uh, but okay, I guess- Fair point, I have, to, I have to disagree with you here. Name the last Apple product that is flopped. I bet you, I, I'm, I can say with confident uh, opinion that we probably are unaware of the vast majority of Apple products that ever launch or exist. Like they're not releasing a huge pr promotional ad campaign for every single run of the mill product. Like they probably have AirPod products we're unaware of, tech. Right, but they never, those never get to the point where they're, I feel like, I don't know, and this is just my personal, like from, from, from how I've seen it, it seems to be the case that when, when Apple's ready to go on something, like 
they're ready to go. Um, I mean, they have obviously the most money you could ever have to, to, to work on their products. And I, I have to imagine that if they're going to release this, it better be the real deal, especially, especially considering the fact $3,500 is not cheap for anything, um, especially a virtual reality headset. And so it has to provide some type of use that like a wide range of, of people can get use out of. So that's my only, that's why I, I have to believe that it, it's, it's got it. It's got to do something great. I agree with you. I mean, it looks very legitimate and I do trust Apple. I'm a big fan and user of their products uh, on a and daily basis. And, and <laughs> yeah, if anything, at the end of the day, I am a skeptic. Uh, so I guess we're going to have to see, but uh, initially at least it does look like something that's kind of going to change the world uh, if it is, you know, compatible with everyday use. I'm sure it'll be helpful in business use cases scientific fields sky's the limit agreed uh okay back to my uh my initial response which was maybe to what you had said uh i went back and re-listened to episode one last night and i think you responded maybe to me probably five times uh if i was counting correctly so i figure that might be a recurring theme here and we need the audience to uh be fully aware of what you mean with that. So you want to kind of intro Mr. Alan Watts, the one and only? Yeah, so Alan Watts, for those who don't know, just a brief um, kind of high-level overview, is uh, kind of the, the notorious Western philosopher who brought Eastern philosophy to the Western world. Um, not to say that others didn't do it before him, but he is kind of... Um, renowned for, for, for that blend of both worlds and um, giving a very unique kind of non-logical traditional philosophy to the world. And um, this whole maybe idea, which we'll, we'll show the video in a second, um, is, is his way of kind of, uh, I guess we'll do the analysis after, but um, yeah, no, curious I, to see what you guys think. Yeah. And, uh, Let me know if I missed anything. No, I mean, the only other thing I would add, uh, he was a U.S., uh, academic in the 1960s. Uh, from what I hear, he definitely dabbled a bit in some psychedelics. Psych some psychedelics. Yeah. Uh, I think he lived in LA, or that's where he was teaching at least uh, for the majority of his career. So uh, without further ado, Mr. Alan Watts, legend of the game. Once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer who uh, lost a horse, ran away. And all the neighbors came around that evening and said, that's too bad. And he said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back and brought seven wild horses with it. And all the neighbors came around and said, why, that's great, isn't it? And he said, maybe. The next day, his son was attempting to tame one of these horses and was riding it and was thrown and broke his leg. And all the neighbors came round in the evening and said, well, that's too bad, isn't it? And the farmer said, maybe. 
The next day, the conscription officers came around looking for people for the army, and they rejected his son because he had a broken leg. And all the neighbors came around that evening and said, isn't that wonderful? And he said, maybe. <laughs> The whole process of nature is an integrated process of immense complexity and it is really impossible to tell whether anything that happens in it is good or bad because you never know what will be the consequences of a misfortune or you never know what will be the consequences of good fortune. Uh, yeah, so that is far none my favorite Alan Watts philosophical explanation there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so we can really get going on that one, uh, as you can kind of understand why now. Uh, it really is a beautiful metaphor or story there. Uh, I, I will say I do try, I do try to take uh, a lot of stuff like that for example, just some random video that someone finds on the internet there. Uh, and this is probably just the skeptic in me. But at the end of the day, like Alan Watts was also just a human being, died of alcoholism uh, very early, earlier than he would have had he not been, been doing that. So it might seem like he has all the answers to life here. But uh, at the end of the day, everyone kind of has their flaws, if you will. Absolutely. And it's funny because I think he would actually agree with what you just said there. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but um, in terms of what, you know, everyone can kind of learn from him, I think it's, it's unique because he grew up in a very Western um, world and then kind of left it all um, for various reasons. He was very skeptical of specifically the church. Um, and then more so just the educational system in the U.S., um, the corporate structure in the U.S., um, and all that stuff. And that's not to say that, trust me, I'm a firm believer in um, the U.S. I'm a patriot all the way. Uh, but I think there are a lot of good uh, lessons to be learned um, and, and, a, and a couple things that can um, just be good at going through life. For instance, he... Was, was was big on being skeptical of everything he came across. And I think that's something that everyone can, can learn from because especially in today's world, we're fed so much information. We see all these things. We hear about this, that, the other. Um, and it's really important to be able to take a step back, assess it from, yeah, that might be the case or maybe not. Um, so that, that's the first thing that definitely comes to mind when we're talking about Alan Watts. And I think as much as it, as it is a joke to respond maybe to whenever we say anything, it's also a good tool to just remind whoever you're having a conversation with, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're dealing with, yeah, there, that, that could be right, that's a, that, true, but there's also probably another way to look at it. There's also probably another answer. Um, and that, that, along with many other of his teachings, I think that's something that everyone can kind of learn from. I think it's a good, typically a good protocol in life to just remember that no one has all the correct answers and the maybe. only people, <laughs> nah, uh, perhaps, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe Watts was talking about that uh, when, he, when he came up with the idea for the video. But no, I would say it's good to probably avoid absolutes in anything um, in regards to just personal beliefs or ideas like people who typically think that they have somehow cracked the code for life and like them and them alone 
we're able to find the correct answers and the correct approach to life, those are usually the people that end up like taking over countries. <laughs> so uh, it's always good to take anything. I feel like anyone tells you with a grain of salt, obviously you, sh you need to know who you can go to for advice and counsel and uh, have trustworthy sources. But at the end of the day, I feel like life is kind of just like a figure it out as you go experience for everyone. On that point, um, talking about the video itself, I think another reason that both of us resonate with it and um, a reason that it's so powerful is because any a lot, at some point or another, uh, obviously everyone will come across hard times. And just like in that video, you know, um, son fell off the horse and broke his leg. How terrible is that? And he, he obviously responds maybe because then they end up coming with the military to recruit him and he doesn't have to go. And so um, the, the, the deeper lesson behind that is everything you face in life, everything you come across, there's, there's always a bright side and there's always a dark side. Um, never, you know, we talk about absolutes. Uh, kind of just accept what comes at you and uh, go from there and, and never get too down or too up. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the philosophy I got in me today. <laughs> Not to say that I, that I am, am perfect or good at, at, at any of that stuff. It's just something that I try to uh, strive for, and I think... I think it's serving you well so far. Uh, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I heard a, a long time ago, and, and they said it best, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Star <laughs> Wars quote there. Yep, of course. Uh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, yeah. Have you, uh, have you ever watched The Kenobi Show? I have not. Um, I watched a little bit of The Mandalorian, um, but my Disney Plus access was uh, gone after that. I think I was using someone else's account and then lost the password. <laughs> uh, that's funny, because I was going to say, uh, I find it more and more difficult to be able to uh, find myself watching shows on the, on the Disney Plus there. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure whoever was paying for your subscription there <laughs> felt similarly. But uh, I love it, Drew. I wanted to uh, also get your thoughts on this book I've been reading. It's called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. I've heard a lot about Har it. Um, Harari. Sorry, I mispronounced that last name there. But uh, you've heard about this? I've not read it yet. It's definitely on the uh, long list of reads. Dude, how frustrating is it? I feel like every like Drew walked into my apartment this evening here with a new book thrown at me, and uh, now that's another one on the long list of books that like I don't know if I'm gonna have enough time to take them all down. Yeah, hey, maybe uh, the uh, new Apple headset can come in clutch. <laughs> can just read and show you the pages right in front of you as you walk your dog. All right, sign me up. I'd drop 3500 for that. Uh, this book is wild, and you're actually going to have to take it home with you. Shout out my brother, Matt. It's his favorite book of all time. Uh, but, dude, this thing's absolutely wild, and it's right up your alley. A Brief History of Mankind. I got to hit you with one thing here I found. And uh, basically about, like, how humans, became, humans came into existence. And on page five here. Wait, really quick. Did you find it, or did it find you? I always like to think whenever a good book comes into your hands, you weren't the one finding it. Uh, it's usually <laughs> the other way around. <laughs> um, but no, this is a, a shout-out to our third host on the show, Cleo. And the first time I read this book, 
I, w- I was at the adoption center the very next day after reading this line. All cats, for example, from the smallest house kitten to the most ferocious lion, share a common feline ancestor who lived about 25 million years ago. And uh, you, Drew and I are big cat guys. Uh, and obviously Cleo was here episode one, not here right now. But in terms of science, I know you like focusing a lot on you know like innovative technologies. Uh, but I feel like sometimes a part of science that at least I personally, I'm not going to speak for you, have neglected at times is genetics. Have you gotten very far into that before or studied it much? Not from a technical biological perspective, uh, biology perspective, um, not getting into like gene, chromosome structure, anything like that. But interesting that you bring that up. So I took this class two semesters ago taught by Benjamin Schumacher. Um, for those of you who do not know him, I advise you looking about very smart man, one of the founders of the quantum theory of physics. Um, but this class was called Origins, and part of the class was about the origin of the universe, and then the other part was about the origin of life. And it's funny that you bring up all felines were from one common ancestor. It's funny because all of life is from one common ancestor. So that is also in this introductory chapter. Which is fascinating. And it's, and it's overlooked to just to think about that every living thing on this planet and now we have to take all these things with a grain of salt because like the scientific method says you can't prove anything you can only point to strong evidence that it's not true or point to strong evidence that it is true um, like we said no absolutes but yeah I think that is definitely moving to the top of the list and I could go on all day about that topic. So the reason, and I I intentionally structured it this way, in which I wanted us to first cover Alan Watts and the maybe philosophy, and then we head over into this, because one is considered obviously more philosophical and not scientific whatsoever uh, with Alan Watts and his perspective on life, and then in this other instant here, when it comes to genetics and science, it's obviously much more so in the, I mean, it's exactly in the scientific field there. Yet, I would argue, from what you just said, about all of human, or all of the beings on planet Earth here come from one common ancestor, I would argue the perfect response to that is maybe. So you're combating science there with philosophy, and I do think that's the correct way to do it, and I'll tell you why. You're telling me something right now with 100% certainty in which you consider concrete concrete fact that your professor from Kenyan, who is probably one of the highly, most highly educated human beings in the scientific area in the United States of America, I would assume, and it's just crazy to me because, I mean, all the evidence at our disposal probably supports his perspective and the same perspective that you just said there, but how about when the smartest human being on planet Earth uh, in the 1000 AD was saying that planet Earth was the center of the universe, you know? Like science is also a science is also a field in which you're only right until you're wrong. And I think there's been a huge um, new phenomenon in the scientific community recently over the last 25 years, we'll call it, in which fact has now all of a sudden become fact and unquestionable and I think that's 
the exact opposite of what the scientific method is intended to be. Could not agree more. Um, and I respect you calling me out there. That's and that's also why I was sure to bring up. I don't know if I'm calling you out there because like if we we're taking a test in at your university and I marked my answer and you marked your answer, I'm sure you would probably score better on the exam there. So you could very well be right, but I don't know. It's just like, it's tough to really wrap your mind around it conceptually here because I don't know, it's like your left brain versus right brain, the philosophical side of you versus the, you know, the mathematical and the scientific side. Yeah, and I think in response to that, a couple things. So first of all, I think that is a great point, and it reminds me of a couple current events I won't get into, but recent events um, where medical and science professionals will definitely overstep their boundaries and make absolutely certain claims about things that turn out to be blatantly false, which is not only dangerous, but um, I think it's the first step towards a dangerous society in which um, people in charge and people holding high scientific roles, um, at least in politics, are able to make these claims that th their entire field in which there's a supposed expert in says the exact opposite. And so um, I think you're absolutely right there. And I, my second, so that was my first point. And then my second point in terms of the blending philosophy with um, science is, I think it's, it's really good, from my studies in philosophy at least, I think, first of all, everyone should learn philosophy because it goes hand in hand with everything you do. And it kind of teaches you, um, you know, different frameworks and perspectives to look through things. And, you know, as it relates to science, I think it's even more important. Um, just because it, it, it's a field, like you said, where it's constantly evolving, things that we think are true for years and centuries, in fact, sometimes taken as like absolute fact, turn out to be false. Um, and when you appeal it with something like Alan Watts' philosophy, there's always the maybe. Um, and so I think, I, at least I hope that as a society, we can strive towards um, you know, keeping that scientific method in mind. Because, you know, we were talking, a common theme throughout the episode, I feel like thus far, um, a, lo a lot of people stepping out of their boundary and making absolute claims about things that w should not be made absolute. And, so, and then silencing and then si people yeah, silencing another people perspective. With perspectives. Um, and I think no matter what, what side of things you fall on, um, whether it's politically or whether it's how you see what, whatever it might be, it's, it's, it's a lesson that everyone can learn and I think it's uh, something at least I strive to do and uh, I don't know, what do you, what do you think about that? I, I certainly agree with you, and uh, to just go back to one other uh, previous topic we discussed, which was the genetics uh, take in that, that they go into on the first chapter in, in Sapiens, like the common storyline of evolution now from the scientific community, you know, that um, however millions of years ago, the first homo species were coming about, and like yada, 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 we've arrived at this point now. Um, most people, I bet if we go walk down the street right now, the majority of people would say they consider that to be factual. Yet until 50 years ago when it was even presented for the first time, every single human being throughout history of mankind would have fought a war against you for having that opinion. 
everyone else believed whatever it may have been, like whatever your specific religion's perspective on uh, the origins of species and mankind were, everyone's got a different one. But people were, I mean, people go to war over religion and like a large part of religion is uh, derived from each one's specific origin story, you know? They all have different ones. Um, yeah, so now we've arrived at the new answer. We finally found the answer and that it's, the, I mean, the theory of evolution and I'm not here saying I don't buy into evolution. I, I mean, I certainly trust science in a lot of regards and um, it seems pretty factual from the evidence at hand right now, but come 250 years from now, we'll see if the story's changed at all. Cause Graham Hancock, uh, I do, I, I think would argue against what we're like, what the common definition uh, of the storyline is. Absolutely. And to, it, it's funny because of how many things it relates to too, right? Uh, for those who maybe, for instance, if you're involved in finance, uh, like science is based around finance, finance. It's <laughs> based around frameworks. And so you have theories, right? And you have um, a theory, for instance, evolution. It has a narrative that fits along, and like in, like you learn in the finance world, all models are useful, but none of them are 100% true, right? And so um, that's kind of the beauty about science. It's like you're supposed to come to the, your best conclusion, kind of demonstrate the story that goes along with it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Debate it a little, refine it a little. Um, and that's kind of what's that's what's pushed innovation in our society forward. Um, and and just to push back on even what I was saying earlier, there are certainly instances in which science does turn out to be right. For instance, like nuclear chemistry. Once they figured nuclear fusion. Once they once they mm -hmm. in theory figured out that hey, like tiny amounts of matter can release extreme amounts of energy using Einstein's equation e equals mc squared for the e equals mc squared uh, for those of you who don't know um, but it, it is cool to see instances um, where it actually does pay off and you can see it in person like you've seen I guess I've never seen a new throw off but you, I get what you're saying yeah. yeah or if you break your arm and go or to even a like hospital. driving an electric uh, an electric car and it can like pick up your surrounding a new Tesla you pick up your surrounding so it is it is there are certainly um, just a play the opposition role there are certainly instances in which um science is great and yeah it, and it does have like real world yes this is right because like here's the proof yeah i mean if, if we if you broke your arm right now we'd have to go to a hospital <laughs> that that i mean their treatment methods are an example of modern medicine and science uh so don't get me wrong i think there's definitely just an interesting conversation though overall i feel like it really gets back to the essence of every conversation we have uh the yin and the yang there Absolutely. where it's like I, you could talk in circles for hours um, because only a Sith deals in absolutes. Drew, think, speaking of nukes here uh, and how you've never seen one before, now that you think of it, are we going opening night to this new flick, Oppenheimer? Have you seen this trailer? Yeah, I, I'm a, definitely in. Uh, I love that actor, by the way, Cillian Murphy. Uh, from Peaky Blinders, Tommy Shelby, shout out an absolute goat. But for the filming of that movie there, the director, like a method director, I guess, made them detonate a real nuke to be filmed <laughs> um, and used in this film. To think about something that went from a world, a, a world ending doomsday thing to now something that's being used in a Hollywood film. And now I'm sure it's like, a small, small, small one, um, but that is that is wild. I did not know that. 
Yeah, absolutely nuts. And it, it, that just kind of is a testament to how big the actual budgets are for some of these Hollywood films that they release. How much do you think they're dropping to get a nuclear device to detonate <laughs> for one scene? Uh, and to think... Well, and, the fact that they, got, they, they even got it through with the U.S. government blows my mind. Yeah, that's nuts to think about. And it's also insane that only 75 years ago they were testing those things out for the very first time in just the deserts of Arizona and New Mexico, and no one had any idea that it was going on. Uh, I've read a few books about the Manhattan Project. My favorite essay in college, actually my sophomore year, I had to write a paper uh, about us dropping the nuclear bomb, bombs, uh, I should say. And uh, the prompt to this essay, I want to hear your opinion on this, because I'm under the impression from the trailer uh, that this is in part what this new movie coming out, Oppenheimer, is about. Uh, It was a big debate at the time when we were putting the device together on whether we should use it, obviously. It had never been used up until that point in human history. Uh, But a lot of revisionist historians, they call them, you know, people who try and years... Yeah, Or maybe they're just trying to correct the past, you know? Uh, Who knows? But uh, a lot of people now speculate and say that the main factor that led to the U.S. deciding to drop the weapons uh, on Japan to wrap up the war in 1945 was not necessarily just to gain victory. Some revisionist historians consider that to be an inevitability back then, um, but they wanted to do it to flex on the Soviet Union because they knew the Cold War was right around the corner and they wanted to show them you know, who actually was going to be running the world now that World War II was over. Uh, and obviously you never really know what was going through the minds of the decision makers at that time, and I'm sure every factor under the sun was taken into account, but I, I mean... It wouldn't be crazy to think that even though they were our allies at the time, uh, perhaps some in the U.S. government were a little upset that the Soviet Union wasn't willing and able to uh, help lead a land invasion of Japan there. And uh, we decided to take alternative measures. Yeah, so I'd say definitely both factors at play. Super interesting point in history. I got an A on the paper, by the way. You must be an expert now. I actually used chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we should definitely talk about that. I actually have an interesting segue into AI after this. But, um, of course you do. I love <laughs> it. Can't wait. Um, yeah, so definitely two factors at play, right? On one hand, you have the most influential piece of technology in human history up to that point. Um, maybe that's up for debate, but I highly doubt it. Um, Right, you got a weapon that can just wipe out entire cities and, and um, render it uninhabitable for the next however long. Um, so, so, first of all, one thing that is definitely noted is the extents to which these Japanese, and, and note, I'm not a history expert and I'm not an expert in any of this. I'm just talking about from what I know and my opinions on it. Um, were, were, were crazy. I mean, the term kamikaze exists for a reason, right? Um, these wars these wars on these islands were savage, they were inhumane, they were impossible to try and invade when these people would go to these extreme lengths. Um, yeah, the fighting. Strapping bombs themselves and running in, dive bombing, all that type of stuff. 
Um, and then on the other hand, you have this piece of technology that it's pretty clear whoever gets it first and whoever is able to demonstrate that they have the ability to send it anywhere on the planet at any given time, it's obviously going to take a massive step up. And as history wrote itself, it turned out to be the case. Um, and so it, whether we should or shouldn't, I guess, is, is up to debate. But I, I don't even like to think about it like that. I, I, I see it as we did. And um, it, it ended up having a good outcome for us because I, I just think about if if, if we hadn't if we hadn't done it and then we lost not only countless more lives in the war but um, also maybe Russia wants to be the first to drop it before yeah. us um, yeah so history yeah. would have been extremely different than what it is yeah definitely a very interesting um, debate and I might have to uh, see that paper and, and give it my notes <laughs> <laughs> um, you can redline it up Drew of course I'll print it out after the show uh, no I, I, I like your opinion there and uh I mean, I think that's that's the accurate way and similar to how I look at it uh, because it's not much of history and really anything in life is not black and white. So there, there is a little bit of a gray area there um, when considering the, the true motives behind making that decision. But I don't necessarily think it was nece- like completely binary and just for one reason or the other uh, because obviously <laughs> the Soviet Union was not really... Um, Yeah, this is an ND podcast. Uh, Drew. I actually have an interesting segue on that. I insist, as a matter of fact. Speaking of technologies that have the power to reshape the future and serve as major potential revolutions, um, AI, right? And so now the big debate these days is um, whether or not artificial intelligence will be equal to, less than, greater than, or what scale, I should say, it falls on um, when relating it to the new. First of all, AI is a very broad term to begin with. Um, And I think it's important to note that there isn't any actual artificial intelligence yet. It's mainly machine learning which is um, basically these systems can prove learning abilities and demonstrate that they have the ability to take in information through data and then give outputs in a way that can be communicated with a human. Um, True AGI, artificial general intelligence, for those who don't know, would be if you could not tell the difference between this technology and a human being. Um, so first I wanted to clarify that, and then I wanted to ask you, um, where do you see it? Like, I know we just kind of broke down in a nutshell the, the history of the nuke and some of the implications behind that technology being unveiled to the world. Um, so where do you see AI in terms of how it compares to that? And, and also, what are your predictions on where you see it headed? Uh, That's a great question. And I would say it seems as though some of the experts in the scientific community nowadays seem to all have the same claim that they think it's going to have 
nearly the same level of influence uh, on society as the nuclear weapons did back then. Uh, and it seems to be trending that way and in that direction. Uh, so it does seem legitimate that, you know, it, it's becoming more and more integrated into our society by the day. I mean, I remember even back in my high school, like in, so, in the sophomore year, in, in sophomore year, they brought in iPads for the first time and they gave them to 500 students and they were gonna test uh, how compatible technology was, I mean, this new technology, which was obviously the iPads had just been rolled out at the time and how compatible it was with learning in the education curriculum. And no more than five years later, it seemed, uh, everyone's taking Zoom classes for a year and a half. And it was like at the switch of a, fl a flip of a switch there uh, that it went from very minimal impact to being a daily use. And it seems as though that's the case with all technology. It seems to innovate extremely rapidly. It's not like evolution, which will take hundreds of millions of years. Technology innovates and spreads extremely quickly. Uh, ever since the Industrial Revolution about 200 years ago, uh, you can see just how that's transpired and changed. Uh, the U.S. society and really society across the globe uh, from an impact standpoint. So, I mean, I definitely think it's going to have an impact, but I guess, like I said earlier in this podcast, only time will tell because at the end of the day, that's really the only way to see uh, how things actually unfold. I saw a something uh, posted on social media the other day and it was a picture. It's true now. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> absolute fact. No, this, uh, it was a picture of a newspaper clipping from the early 2000s in which a scientist who had won the Nobel Prize in his field in the 1990s said that the internet was going to have as much of an impact on society as a washing machine. I think you brought this up last episode. Did I? Maybe. Um, <laughs> but Maybe you just, you've told it to me a bunch recently. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, yeah. So, like, I mean, I, I just like that because I do think it kind of goes to show that, like, even the experts are wrong sometimes. Uh, but, I mean, it like, it's inarguable that there are countless benefits and very beneficial use cases for tech, this technology that is constantly improving. Uh in the medical community especially, I mean, I think it's, it'd be idiotic not to be using it in certain instances. The, the, the quality of life and the, uh, the quality of, uh, like, how long and how well people are living has gone up significantly over the past 100 years. You know, we've gone from life expectancy in the 50s to now being in the 70s, although it's gone down since 2020 in the United States. That could be a whole a whole other conversation about uh, the health industry and the medical industry. But uh, overall, I do think it, it's obviously trended in the right direction since technology's gotten involved, so you can't argue with that. Um, but I do think, and I do think that, yeah, to answer your original question, it's going to continue to be prevalent and uh, continue to be used in good cases. Absolutely. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm, so before I... Before I explain my side, which I would say is, is pretty strong, but um, strong in one direction, not strong in whether it's right or not. But um, so first of all, interesting point you brought up about from the iPads to, you know, 
only a few years later going totally virtual on education. And uh, that reminds me of a famous principle called Moore's Law, which basically started in the early days of uh, computer technology being built out. And it basically said that as the transistors in computers um, continue to increase each year, the computing power will exponentially increase year after year. Um, and it makes you think, like, we've seen, even it's, it's like each year, the rate at which these technologies are progressing is almost unfathomable. Like, you think about even from last year to this year, what do we got? Chat, we got ChatGBT, which is obviously the big thing um, recently. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the okay, can you, Okay, so I, I do want to go into this briefly because... ChatGPT, obviously, I've seen a fair amount of it posted online, and it's it's made headlines, and it's and it's becoming more and more legitimate, and its its use is its use has grown a ridiculous amount this year alone. And you were on the wave early, and you showed me this thing six months ago, and blew my mind. And then I didn't use it much, and then you got home for the summer and showed me it again, and it, and it blew my mind again. Um, so you use it, you know how to use it, and you've told me more than I could ever believe about this thing. And something interesting you've talked about in regards to it uh, is you you are of the belief that in the future, 20, 25 years from now, kids will be going to college and the majors will be prompt engineering for these, for these artificial intelligence uh, tools. Can you go on a little bit about that uh, and, and explain to the audience like what, like what it all entails? Because I think there's a lot more than people know. Absolutely. So first off, again, not an expert, but definitely uh, I've been lucky enough to gain some good knowledge. Um, Kenyon recently started a program that deals with AI um, and the humanities, basically looking at AI from, or looking at the humanities from, through an AI lens. In my most recent courses, we learned all about large language models, which in case you didn't know, ChatGPT is a large language model. Um, but, so to answer that question, you gotta kinda go into the history first of AI. So, so AI has gone through what are called, I guess you can say peaks and winters. And so, um, I guess the whole field of scientific computing in general. Um, and so the most recent breakthrough, right? Um, after years of it kinda being stagnant, you know, it was, it was a hot topic, but it was kinda something that wasn't quite tangible yet. We couldn't really see the results of the field. And so this concept of a large language model really kind of broke through that most recent winter. And so what a large language model is, is they basically, this is not a Harvard level description of this, um, simply just kind of a generic description of it. But anyway. Um, don't, your, don't sell yourself short. You got some pretty good grades last year. <laughs> Um, anyway, so large language model. So in essence, you train these things on as much written text as you can possibly gather. And then using, and I hope I don't botch anything here, but I'm gonna do my best. Then it basically uses- The fact checkers will, will, will take a look for us, absolutely. don't worry. It uses an optimization algorithm to kind of look through all of its massive amounts of data it has um, and figure out what word 
slash vector of words um, usually follows after, and that will be catered to your specific prompt. And so um, with, with the small technical breakdown behind us, um, basically it's a way where now you don't need to use code or computer language to communicate with these systems. You can now use generic English text in which these models have been trained on to prompt it to do different things and give you different outputs. Dude, I don't know fucking anything about computers. Yeah. Uh, I'm, de I'm definitely well-versed in a lot of areas, but when it comes to like computing power or anything that goes into any of that, uh, it's not really my forte. Yeah, and so, which is kind of not, I feel like it's... it's which it's, is why we, we have you on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that once they got that breakthrough, now we're kind of just seeing... We're just seeing the, the very beginning of where these things are headed. I mean, even the jump from ChatGPT, which is the original one, 3.5, to 4, which is the most updated one, subscription-based. It's kind of the way OpenAI makes money. Speaking of ChatGPT4, you were in a prompt engineering classes here at Kenyon, right? And you got featured on the Kenyon website for your project on prompt engineering? Correct. So just a little bit uh, to toot your horn for you now, but also um, to kind of just like give it a, a real use case example of what this stuff can do in practical everyday life. Um, you were writing your paper on, you basically use ChatGPT4 to create a marketing plan, was it, for the Chicago White Sox? It was an executive summary. An executive summary. And it was interesting because the, the, the topic was consulting the Chicago, using ChatGPT4 to consult the Chicago White Sox on how they can implement new AI and large language model tools into their business structure. And so the reason I chose Why do you need ChatGPT4? Couldn't you just tell them to hire Ozzy Guillen again? <laughs> if they're trying to win again? That's a good point. Um, um, no, go on. No, but so it sounds kind of kind of random, but it was actually meticulously selected because first of all, you got a specific niche industry, not niche, but specific industry, very specific industry, very specific team within the industry, Chicago White Sox, tremendously complex landscape, you know, the sports world, um, sports, oper sports operation and management in general. And then on top of that, you have this large language model talking about how, kind of what I just explained, this specific team in a specific market can implement it basically itself and other tools like it into its business. Um, and it was pretty crazy. Uh, maybe we'll drop the... Yeah, we'll put, we'll put the link to it in uh, the episode page. Yeah, and so take a second to check that out. It's pretty fascinating. Um, but definitely, a, a, and on top of that, I also, I also used it to grade itself. And it's pretty interesting to see the feedback it gives to itself. And that's why when you talk about prompt engineering, it's so powerful. Because these, these things have the ability to not only give you the output, but to interact with you and kind of like grade themselves based on how you tell it to. Um, and so, like I said, like this is just the beginning of what these tools are gonna be able to do. Yeah, tip of the iceberg. Tip, tip of the iceberg, it's pretty much been six months since it first even arrived, and now like there's already four great different editions, uh, and it's definitely evolving very well. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do think, uh, Obviously, nothing's perfect. Uh, I did see that there was a study conducted on 
lawyers who were using it, using these AI platforms to help them with their cases that they were writing, and some 40% of them had some mistakes regarding the actual law. So I do, do you know if that was 3.5 or 4? Uh, I do not. Why? Did they fix that in 4? So, so 4 scored, I can't remember the exact amount, but very high on the bar. On the bar? Like, that, like much better than your average human. Interesting. Yeah. We're, we're going to be keeping a close eye on AI over the next couple of years, and we'll be covering it here. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it evolves. Do you think college kids are writing papers with it these days? I don't think it. I know it. Kids are writing and submitting college papers copied and pasted from ChatGPT. They should. Really? You think it could write a paper better than you? Oh, I know it. Dude, that's where it gets murky for me. Uh, I don't know. I just, I guess maybe I'm just old school, but like, I like to think I have some, I think there's some, some stuff inside humans that differentiates themselves from an algorithm that is writing, you know, something, something that they're trying to, from within, write themselves or no way. So a couple of things. First, someone we look or someone we, we, we like and respect their work, Jordan Peterson. I like JP. Yeah. Uh, recently saw him talking about it, and he had GPT model write an eighth rule of life, or maybe a 15, because he did seven rules for life and then seven more rules for life. No, I, wrote, I read 12 rules for life, so it must be the third Yeah, okay. Um, in, in his words, um, to the best of his ability, and he, in his own words, said, I couldn't tell the difference between my work and it. And so the crazy thing about it That's is nice. even if you do think that you have uh, something to offer, you can take what you just wrote, put it into chat GBT and say, make this a PhD level paper. And it will do it. And the sentence structure, and you'll read this thing and you will be like, holy shit. I, I cannot, I, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You'll never, you'll never go back, and kids will never go back. And it's dangerous, but there's some, I want to say there are some positives for sure. Like I think, Who are the like best AI companies, companies out there that are publicly traded? Like in terms, to, to invest in? Yeah. This is not financial advice. Yeah, uh, we, do not, we do not, we do not share <laughs> any financial advice on this program and take no responsibility for any endorsements made. So it's interesting, um, I was, I texted Matt the other day about one, or the other month, I should say, about one to look into. Matt is also, uh, for, the, for the crew listening, Matt is a financial advisor uh, in the Chicago area. Um, and it is called C3AI. Um, so I don't know a ton about it. All I know is one of my college roommate's dad, um, told me about it and I was like hmm interesting and this is like two years ago right and so I'd always like had it in my notes never really like looked into it that much and then lo and behold I'm in the elevator at work the other day and I see it pop up as like a trending ticker um, and so whether that's just because of this whole AI kind of craze that's going on now or whether it's because it's a going to be an industry leader someday. Has it gone up since you talked to him about it? It was, the, it was, it was in the, uh, I think Yahoo top 10, uh, 
biggest gainers for the day the other day. And so I, uh, sorry, Matt, I texted you and let you know that uh, you should have bought it, bought it for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious, dude. Uh, one thing I will not be buying any more of is going to be cryptocurrency. Uh, are you still an artist? Oh no, I think I think in the in the long run, the the, the main players in that in, in in crypto will definitely win out. I don't think we know exactly where it's going to fit in in terms of like where it's going to be the most useful mm-hmm. necessarily yet. Um, but you got to believe if 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 it had that much of a runway, it's it's it's. It, it's going to find its use and it will sell in eventually. It's kind of like the early days of the internet, I think. So I, I have a unique view when it comes to cryptocurrency and all online digital currencies. Uh, and it's kind of in large part why I still try to, I'm one of the few people that I actually see on a regular basis who is still an ardent user of cash. I think cash is king. And something inside of me just does not sit 100% at peace with the idea of every single dollar to my name being stored on a phone or on an app, like in just in theory. And it's not like 100 years ago, you had your entirety of your wealth in your basement in cash or in gold. Um, Obviously, banks have been used to house currencies for a long time now. But when it comes to technology, there's there's this thing called a social credit system in China. I don't know if you're aware of it, but basically they have fully digital, fully centralized currency in a lot of areas. And in those areas that also have a social credit system, which is a government instituted program uh, in which you get a credit, you get a score for how good of a citizen you are. So if you don't jaywalk, your social credit score might go up. If uh, you tweet something out bad about the Chinese Communist Party, it might go down. And when your entire when your entire bank account is linked to an app, uh, the government or whoever's in charge of that money is able to determine whether you to keep that or not. And not saying that that's something I think is in America or capable of entering our financial institutions, but. I think that's a little fucked up. Uh, Shout but, out Black Mirror. Yeah, that that sounds like it's straight out of a Black Mirror episode. So that's it is. That's why I always like to keep a couple a couple bucks on me in cash, and I will till the day I die. That's in yeah that that definitely uh, doesn't sit well with me. I'm willing to bet that by the time you die, which hopefully isn't soon. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> cash will be non-existent. I know. And it seems to be trending more and more in that direction. And it's interesting because, um, because of how I feel about that and because I know what it, what the end result can be as we're seeing in China. And as you've seen in black mirror, uh, it seems as though the cognitions and wheels of power at play seem to be pushing, slowly pushing things in that direction to make it more difficult to use cash. Uh, in Chicago, I, I can rattle off names of 10 plus stores that won't even accept cash. And like, I'll, I'll offer to provide them with cash. And they're just like, no, we don't take that. And that's that's crazy to even think about. Like they will not take compensation <laughs> in, in a certain form that was the, the norm for 100 plus years. Um, so yeah, it's definitely interesting. But uh, until they don't take it, Cash is king. Yeah, absolutely. And 
that's maybe maybe save the uh, U.S. crypto that they're trying to. Yeah, exactly, exactly, lay out exactly. For uh, another episode, but that's also another interesting one. Um, yeah. Uh, shifting topics a bit here, but something I did definitely want to cover uh, regarding food quality and nutrition, if you will. Drew's got a big bowl of raspberries here in front of us. Uh, we are audio only on this episode. We're still uh, going through final interview rounds for the cameraman role uh, here with, in the early days of mic'd up radio and podcasting, but uh, we'll just have to explain it verbally. Drew's got a big bowl of raspberries he's been snacking on this episode, and we made a new policy in the studio. There has to be fresh fruit on hand for every single month this summer uh, when recording episodes. We're, we're, we're getting into the natural sugars, natural carbohydrates here. And uh, before the show, when Drew was finding his snack, uh, long story short, we went with the raspberries and it kind of sparked, sparked, <laughs> sparked this conversation uh, when it comes to nutrition. I feel like there's a lot of people out there nowadays who think that they've cracked the code and found the perfect answer to health, whether that be eating meat only, being a pescatarian and only eating fish. Obviously, you got plenty of vegans out there, uh, although I have never and will never be touching a Beyond Burger in my entire life. Uh, but I don't know. I think we're both pretty healthy guys here, and we're not hardos when it comes to the diet, but like we definitely understand the importance a good, balanced nutrition can have on your life and uh, obviously on your athletic performance. I cannot stand when people talk negatively about like raw fruits and vegetables. I think it's the most the, the the biggest red flag for anyone who's claiming to know anything about nutrition or fitness uh, to be able to say that with a straight face blows my mind. Yet you do kind of hear it more and more these days. Yeah, I don't know about the biggest red flag, but uh, certainly out there. That might be vegan. <laughs> I went vegan for a month a few years ago uh, just to see what it yeah what it actually felt like and probably lost 13 pounds uh energy levels were all right but like i personally feel when it comes to those fab diets anything's good to just shock your system if you're doing any if you're only going meat if you're only going veggies for like a 30-day trial it's probably you're probably going to feel something different because your body is changing due to this radical diet but i'm, I'm a big believer that the best diet out there still is just like 70 percent or protein, 20% carbohydrates, 10% fats. Uh, but yeah, you're making me hungry for dinner now. <laughs> yeah, that, that this is an interesting one. Um, first of all, I think, like you said, to take any one approach um, is, look, I'm not going to be, like, anyone can do what they want, right? Totally, like, totally fine. If you want to be a vegan, be a vegan. You it's a free a country for now. Absolutely. Um, my the reason I'm skeptical of it is because people will make these claims, oh, this is the best, oh, you gotta try it, it's great, it's great for this reason, it's great for that reason. Um, but people need to remember, everyone is different, whether it be their workout regimen, whether it be their lifestyle in general, all, all those factors are at play. So I, I, I'm willing to bet, I don't know for certain, but these diets will kind of vary from one person to another. Um, and I'm kind of with you, I think. Uh, it's good to experiment, trial and error, try new things. Um, but yeah, I, I will never subscribe to the approach of um, going one thing at a time. Um, and 
kind of leads me into the next thing I thought of when you brought that up, which is the food options that are available these days. It, it, you know, you hear people, talk, I don't know if you, you heard about seed oils at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard about... Um, GMOs. Yeah. That, so the, these type of things. And I think like today it's, it's almost more important than, than ever to uh, make sure you just know what you're eating and kind of... You know, like, whether it be, I I don't know what a good indicator here, but, like, depression rates are up high, like, obesity rates, all those type of indicators. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if it's partially due to what you eat. Um, A lot of people forget that that is what you eat does power power your life, power your mood, power all that stuff. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I think, like, I've been so skeptical of, of... these fast food chains I've been skeptical of uh, just like the whole f- F- FDA Big and food in general like <laughs> I think it's so hard these days you hear about all these oh this is the best thing and supplements too are a big one this is the best day. it'll change your life it'll uh, this that another another common theme we always talk about uh, information overload um, and so that's that's definitely interesting that you brought that up because I think there are a lot of good conversations and debates to be had out of this issue yeah and i'm i think it's one that doesn't really get talked about all that much um not that we're trying to focus under the radar for sure certainly and it's not like we're trying to focus on the issues that are facing society nowadays Um, (laughs) right uh i will say when it comes to nutrition up until recently in in the story of human history uh i'm sure about half of the people in existence at any given point in time we're just dying of starvation right like yeah. it's a it's a good issue to have the luxury of being able to walk out your front door and go to a store or not even with, walk out yeah with a year's worth of, <laughs> worth supply of food if, if it was all just for you is a, a relatively new phenomena uh so with that being said it's it's not surprising that there's some issues to be worked out but it's a it's a huge uh it's a huge head scratcher uh, in regards to it being an issue in today's modern age, uh, especially at least here, I can only speak on the United States. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about it, but we have in a couple weeks here coming up a, a special guest coming who's a certified CrossFit instructor uh, and nutritionist. So we're going to have him give us some answers and maybe some recommendations on how to kind of navigate that because uh yeah walk in i mean you walk into the grocery store and it's it's not surprising why like the the vast majority of americans are battling some sort of health and weight issues because it's not necessarily steering you in like i feel like in the right direction in regards to what your choices are uh you kind of got to work harder to eat healthier i feel like absolutely and i think uh that's a good note to end on I think that's going to do it for week two here, or episode two, I should say, week one in the books. We hope you guys enjoyed. Um, please feel free, and we encourage um, any feedback. Um, just kidding. You have to like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and subscribe and leave a five-star review. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you episode three next week.